The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. Early, on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. Mary Magdalene was Jesus' most famous female follower, and like all those who followed Jesus, she had an extraordinary faith, and she believed about Jesus what many people believe about Jesus. She believed that he was from God. She believed that he was a prophet. She believed that he was a great teacher. She believed that he was a miracle worker. She believed that Jesus brought with him a level of compassion and equality and dignity that was, that was previously unknown to humanity. She believed that Jesus was unlike any other person that she had ever met. But on Easter morning, she believed that Jesus was dead and he was going to stay dead. Perhaps you know the story. It was on Thursday that Jesus was betrayed, arrested, and tried. And then it was on Friday that he was crucified. And, and generally, the Romans, they would actually leave a body on the cross for days and days, sometimes even weeks after the person had died. It was, it was actually one of the ways the Romans used crucifixion to terrify the people that they conquered into submission. And, and Jesus, he died from a combination of, of shock and blood loss. And ultimately, it was suffocation. And, and his death, it was ensured by the thrust of a Roman spear into his side, piercing his heart. Now, when a body was taken off the cross, it was actually thrown into the dump because, because it was illegal to bury a crucified body. It was part of the punishment for the crime, whatever the crime was. But see, if, if you paid the guard enough, if you had the right connections... You could actually get a crucified body, and you could bury it. And one of Jesus' followers was a wealthy man. He was a connected man, a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. And he, along with one of the Pharisees who secretly followed Jesus, a man named Nicodemus, together they went to the Roman governor Pilate, and they asked for permission to remove Jesus' body. And so these two men, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they took Jesus' body and they placed it in a tomb, a tomb that had never been used. It was Joseph's own personal tomb. And so very quickly, as the sun was setting, as the Sabbath was about ready to begin, these two men, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they took the body of Jesus, they laid it in a tomb, and they rolled a large stone in front of the entrance, sealing it. And then they went home. As sad and as disappointed as they had ever been in their lives. And see, back then what they would do is they would actually leave a body in the tomb until there was nothing left but bones. And then they would come back, they'd gather up those bones, and they'd actually place those bones in a box called an ossuary, which looked like this. In fact, this is actually the ossuary that was used for Caiaphas. It was discovered in 1990. You can see his name. It's etched on the side of the box. Now Caiaphas, he was the Jewish high priest. He was the one who was responsible for having Jesus arrested. He's the one 
that oversaw Jesus being beaten. He's the one that made sure that Jesus was flogged and, and ultimately crucified. And so these two men, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, are thinking to themselves that they would take Jesus' body, they'd place it in this tomb, and at some point later they'd come back and they would gather up Jesus' bones and they would place them in an ossuary, much like this one, and they would give it to, to Jesus' mother, Mary, or perhaps, perhaps one of his other family members. And this woman, Mary Magdalene, she loved Jesus so much. I mean, she had been so moved by his ministry, by his words, by the fact that Jesus actually performed the miracle for her. Jesus had actually healed her personally. She loved Jesus so much that she was actually willing to go into a tomb while it was dark, before the Sabbath was even over, and unwrap Jesus' dead body. And make sure that it had been properly prepared for burial. That's how much Mary Magdalene loved Jesus. But on Easter morning, Mary Magdalene believed that Jesus was dead and that he was going to stay dead. And that's why she actually brought with her the things that she would need to embalm Jesus' body. And so when she got to the tomb on that very first Easter morning and she saw that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, she was surprised and shocked. But but understand this, she did not assume that Jesus rose from the dead. In fact, the scripture actually tells us that she, that that's actually, that's Mary, she came running to where Simon Peter and the other disciple, that's John, the one that Jesus loved, that's John actually speaking about himself. And see, what's so interesting here is that Peter and John, I mean, they're not there. (laughs) They're not at the tomb, are they? Why? Because, see, they too assumed it's over. I mean, this is game over, right? I mean, now that the Pharisees, now that the high priest, now that they've finally gotten rid of Jesus, I mean, it's only a matter of time until they come after us. We're, We're his followers. We're his disciples. Everybody knows it. So what do we do now? Where do we go now? I mean, we're certainly not going to go hanging out at Jesus' tomb. I mean, that would be the first place that people would come looking for us. But see, Mary, she knows where they're hiding. And so Mary comes rushing into this room, and she says to them, and what Mary says to these disciples is so incredibly, incredibly important for, for you to hear this morning, so important for you to think about this morning, especially if you're here today and you've got doubts. Especially if you're here today and you're not quite sure what it is that you believe about God or Jesus or the Bible. See, the the truth is, if that's you, then this is the perfect place for you to be. And, And today is the best day of the year for you to actually be in church. Because see, what you need to understand is this. There was nobody who was standing outside that empty tomb on that very first Easter going, okay, guys, any minute now, 10, 9, 8, everyone hold hands, 7, 6, 5, nobody. Not, not the men and women who had eaten with Jesus, not the men and women who had seen Jesus, not even the men and women who had been healed by Jesus, not the men and women who had seen Jesus perform a miracle. There, there was nobody outside of that empty tomb on that very first Easter waiting for Jesus to come back to life. And see, they were very much like some of you. 
they believed that Jesus was a good man. They believed that Jesus was a great teacher. They believed that Jesus perhaps was even from God. They believed that Jesus was a miracle worker. They believed that Jesus was the wisest man that they had ever met, but they too believed that Jesus was dead, and he was going to stay dead. And so there was no one. There was no one who expected a resurrection. And so they were very much like some of you, maybe even more than you realize. And see, Mary, she comes running into this room where the disciples are, are hiding, and Mary actually says to them in, in John chapter 20, verse 2, she says, they, they, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Now, do you understand why she assumed that somebody took the body? It's because there's no body in the tomb, right? And she doesn't say to the apostles, hey, Jesus has risen from the dead. She says, no, someone has come and they have stolen Jesus' body. Now, it's Luke. Luke, who was a doctor. Luke, who very carefully investigated all the events surrounding the life of Jesus. He's the one who actually talked to as many people as he could find about Jesus. Not only about his resurrection, but about all the things that Jesus said, all the things that Jesus taught. It's Luke who took all of that information and then who put together an orderly account for us. And it's Luke who tells us in chapter 24, verse 10, you can follow along in the Bibles in front of you if you'd like on page 1642. Luke says that very specifically in verse 10 that it was Mary Magdalene, it was Joanna, it was Mary the mother of James and the others who were with them who told this to the apostles, to the disciples. And, and so Mary, she, she loves Jesus. She respects Jesus. She, she believes what Jesus taught. She believes that Jesus really is who he claimed to be. But even Mary is thinking that somebody has stolen Jesus' body. And when she comes into the room where the disciples are hiding and she says to them that the tomb is empty, verse 11, the disciples, they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. What do you mean, they said? There's no body in the tomb. Now, Let's talk about this word. Let's talk about why this is such an important word. And I'm just going to say what it is that some of you are thinking to yourselves this morning, and that's okay. Again, that's, I'm glad you're here. This is a place where it's actually safe to ask those difficult questions of faith. This is a place where you can actually get answers to those difficult questions of faith. I mean, if you can't get answers here, if you can't figure out what it is that you believe about God and Jesus and the Bible here then where are you supposed to figure that out at? And so this is a place that you can ask and you can get those, question, those kind of questions answered. And so I'm just going to say what it is that some of you are actually thinking to yourself right now. And, and again, that's, that's okay. You think the idea of a resurrection is nonsense. You think the idea of an empty tomb is nonsense. Now, if that's you, then in all fairness, what you should know is that you're actually in some pretty good company. Because see, in the very first century, 
the people who knew Jesus the best, I mean, the men that actually heard Jesus call their name, the, the people that saw Jesus look them straight in the eye and say, Matthew, I want you to follow me. Simon, Andrew, I want the two of you to follow me. John, James, I want you to follow me. See, those men who hung around the campfire every night with Jesus, those men who spent three years of their lives listening to Jesus, those very men, they thought the idea of an empty tomb was nonsense. See, these were not a bunch of superstitious people. They did not expect a resurrection. So if you think the idea of a resurrection is nonsense, I mean, of course you do. It is nonsense. People don't come back to life after they've died, do they? I mean, people do not come back to life after they've suffered extreme blood loss, after they've suffocated, and then had their heart pierced by a spear. Of course they thought it was nonsense. It is nonsense. Verse 12, Peter, however, Peter got up and he ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away wondering to himself, what happened? What happened? I mean, even after they saw an empty tomb, nobody assumed a resurrection. See, they were very much like some of you. But see, here's the thing. Here's the thing that you have to wrestle with this morning. Here's the thing that if you're a skeptic, you've got to think about. Here's the thing that makes Matthew's account and Mark's account and Luke's account and John's account Here's what the thing that makes all of these so strange. Here's the thing that makes the whole story of Jesus, in fact, the whole story of the resurrection so strange, is that these first century believers, these first century followers of Jesus, they actually record their own disbelief. And let me tell you why that's so important. See, if you're going to make up a story about a resurrection, and if the whole point of the story, you know, is to keep the, the movement alive, I mean, and now that Jesus is gone and all, and, and so we, we want to keep the movement alive. And, and if you're going to do that because Jesus is gone, obviously, you're right, the focus is going to be on you, right? You're going to be the hero. You're, you're going to be the center of the story. You're going to be the one that everyone's going to look to. See, if you're going to tell a really big lie in order to keep the dream alive, you don't write yourself into the story as a coward. You don't write yourself into the story as someone who has absolutely no faith. But, but you check it out for yourself. Every single one of them, they actually record the fact that they all lost faith. They actually record the fact that every single one of them, they gave up. That they were cowards. They record the fact that every single one of them, in the, in the moment when Jesus needed them the most, that they all abandoned Jesus. And they allowed Jesus to be taken away into the night by themselves. They record all of that. They record the fact That even Peter, even Peter, the one who promised to be with Jesus through everything, even Peter, 
is so scared that he runs away. He allows Jesus to be taken off in the middle of the night. And Peter follows behind just close enough to see what's going on. And he ends up in Pilate's court. And they even tell us that Peter, as he's watching Jesus being tried, a middle school girl, a middle school girl, comes up to Peter and accuses Peter of being a follower of Jesus. And Peter gets so scared that he actually curses Jesus. And they record all of that. See, see, that's not what you do if you actually want other people to follow you. I mean, that's not the kind of story that, that you tell. You don't tell a story where, where you actually abandon your closest friend. You don't tell a story where at the end of the whole thing, you're nowhere left to be found. You don't tell a story where you're a coward right to the very end. That's not the kind of story that you tell, especially if the whole point of the story is to actually get other people to follow you. So you've got to think about this. See, instead what you do is you tell a story that goes like this. See, nobody believed, but I did. I was right there the whole time. I stood right by Jesus. I never doubted. Nope, not me. We always knew. See, we always believed. We waited right outside that empty tomb because we always knew. We always believed. We didn't give up. We were there the whole time. We saw the whole thing. We always knew this is what was going to happen. See, that's the kind of story that you tell. You don't tell a story where you give up on your closest friend. You don't tell a story where you're a coward. You don't tell a story where you lost faith. But every single one of them, every single one of them, that's what they record. And this is so important for you. Do you understand why all four gospel writers, all of them, they present Jesus' closest followers as being bewildered confused and afraid? Do you know why? It's because they were. They were bewildered, they were confused, and they were afraid. But something happened. Because a couple of weeks later, and this is so important, again, not years later, a couple of weeks later, not 85 years later, See, historians, they actually tell us it takes about 85 years for one generation to die off and then for the next generation to come along and, you know, they get the story wrong and then pretty soon people are believing things that never actually happened and, and that is how myth and how folklore and how legend, that, that's how that develops, that's how that grows. But see, there, there wasn't that much time because a couple of weeks later, not years, not even months, a couple of weeks later, and, and these very same people, the eyewitnesses, they pour into the streets of Jerusalem, and their story wasn't that once upon a time Jesus lived. I mean, they, they pour into the streets of Jerusalem, and, 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 and they don't start teaching what Jesus taught. I mean, none of them, they, they don't start repeating the Sermon on the Mount or something. They, they pour into the streets of Jerusalem, the very Jerusalem where Jesus walked. The very Jerusalem where just a couple of weeks earlier, Jesus was arrested. 
that the very Jerusalem where Jesus was publicly tried and crucified, that same city, these same people, they pour into the streets of Jerusalem and their story is our Savior who we saw crucified, we have seen him risen from the dead, he is alive and we are witnesses of all of it. And see, this is so important for you. This is so important for you. If, you, if you're a skeptic, you've got to actually think about this. Because see, the reason that you know anything at all about Jesus, I mean, the reason you, you've ever, you even know that he lived, the reason that you've ever heard the name Jesus, is because suddenly, the very people who just a couple of weeks earlier were hiding These same people, they pour into the streets of Jerusalem and they tell everybody that they can find that they have seen their Savior risen and alive. And then suddenly Peter, the coward, Peter who was afraid to admit to a middle schooler that he was friends with Jesus, suddenly Peter, he is face to face with Caiaphas. The same Caiaphas who two weeks ago just had Jesus arrested. The same Caiaphas who had Jesus beaten and flogged. That same Caiaphas and the same crowd of people who just two weeks earlier publicly called for Jesus' crucifixion. Peter is face to face with Caiaphas and he says to to Caiaphas and to the whole crowd, you, You handed Jesus over to be killed. You, you disowned Jesus before Pilate, even though Pilate decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and the righteous one of God and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, Peter said. But God, God has raised him from the dead, and we, the the men and women who are in front of you right now, we are witnesses of all of it. So what happened? What happened? What gave Peter the courage to stare down that very same group of people who just a couple of weeks earlier he was hiding from. See, do you know what the event was that changed the world? I mean, do you know what the event was that actually launched the message of Jesus into the world? Do you know why the message of Jesus, why it even survived and made it out of the first century? It wasn't because of what Jesus said. It wasn't even because of what Jesus did. On that very first Easter afternoon, when the people who knew Jesus best, when they saw a resurrected Savior, when they spoke to him, When they touched his resurrected body, in that moment, something happened to them that I want to have happen to every single one of us. See, something changed. Because before that moment, 
Before that moment, everybody believed that about Jesus. Everybody believed what many people believe. Everybody believed what 90% of the world believed. Everyone believed even what other religions believed. Because the truth is, everybody wants a piece of Jesus, don't they? See, everybody. I mean, everybody believes that about Jesus. I believe that he was a good man. I believe that he came from God. I believe that he was a great teacher. I believe that that Jesus brought a depth of compassion into our world that was previously unknown to our world. See, everybody, they believe that about Jesus. But after the resurrection, the people who knew Jesus best, they went from believe that to trust in. And when that happened, it's what launched the message that Jesus is the Savior of the world into the world. And I want that same thing to happen to every single one of us. I want every single person here to believe in Jesus. And I'll tell you why. Because everything that you know, everything that you have ever heard, even the fact that you know the name Jesus, see all of it, all of that, it comes from the men and the women who say they saw Jesus after he was risen from the dead. In other words, the very people who have told you about the Jesus that you respect? See, those are the same people who say that Jesus rose from the dead. And so if you're going to believe anything about him, why would you not believe the most important thing they said about him? If you're going to embrace anything about Jesus, why would you not embrace everything? about him. Because see, when that happens, then Jesus stops simply being an example. He moves from teacher. He moves from model to savior, to to your personal savior. So what does it mean? What does it mean to actually trust in Jesus? Placing your faith in Jesus is very much like this stool. I'm trusting in this stool to hold me up. That's all that faith is. See, believing in Jesus means believing that when Jesus died on the cross, he actually died for the reason he said he was going to die on the cross. He was dying on the cross to pay for the sins of the world, which meant that he was paying for your personal sin and my, my personal sin. Putting your faith in Jesus means more than just believing that about Jesus. It means placing all of my weight on Jesus and what it is that he said he did for you and for me. See, it means believing that when Jesus died, 
when he rose from the dead, when Jesus conquered death, that his resurrection was a validation of exactly who it is that he claimed to be. The one and only Son of God, who is your Savior. And so maybe, maybe for some of you today, maybe you've never actually understood that before. And see, if that's you, I want to actually give you the opportunity to express, possibly for the first time, what it is that you believe that, you, that Jesus really is your Savior. Because see, the truth is, that's why we're here today. We're not here because Jesus lived. We are here because Jesus lives. And he wants to live in your heart and in your life. And Jesus actually said that by faith, you become a part of his kingdom. That by faith, you become a part of his father's kingdom. Of his father's family. Of this family of believers here. Who also believe that Jesus is alive. And so in just a moment, I'm going to ask all of us to pray out loud. I'm going to give you the opportunity to today, maybe for the first time, to express what it is that you really believe. And and this is important to understand. See, praying a certain prayer is not what makes you a Christian. Prayer is simply an expression of faith. An expression of the faith that God himself actually gives to us. The faith to believe that Jesus really is who he said he is, that he is your savior. And so if you're here today and you say you don't believe, then that's fine. You don't need to pray out loud. But for the rest of us, I want us to actually pray out loud because I want you to hear yourself saying what Matthew said and what Mark said and John and Luke and Peter and Andrew and Mary who on that very first Easter believed in Jesus, when they met not simply a great teacher, but a resurrected Savior. So would you pray with me? Let's say this together out loud. Heavenly Father, I believe you are my Heavenly Father. I believe Jesus is your Son. I believe you sent Jesus into this world to pay for the sins of the world and to pay for my sin. All of my trust and all of my faith is in Jesus alone. Thank you for receiving me into your family. And now I want to give to each of you just a few moments to silently and to personally speak to your Heavenly Father, to thank Him for the Savior that He has put into your life, and to confess to Him the sin that Jesus Himself has personally paid for for you.
the great news of Easter is that Christ is risen. And because he is risen, your sin is forgiven. Your Savior has forgiven you. He is your Savior. He is alive, and he is with you every day.